the biggest worry when I left my trail family with um, Katie, SOS, and Rosie, um, or kind of bird for trailing. And uh, I left them behind um, some, somewhere in the middle of the Sierras. And I pushed forward and I actually hiked alone, which is not a good idea, especially in a high snow year. <laughs> and I crossed Bear Creek by myself and all its tributaries. And I was crossing one of the tributaries at Bear Creek and I just fell in, the water just took me. And Welcome to the Hiking Through Podcast, where I get to pull up a seat at the campfire and have a conversation about all things through hiking. I'm Erin Egan, and today's guest is Dignity, known off-trail as Chaba Winters. He took quite the twisted trail on his journey from Mexico to Canada. In 2019, he found himself at the southern terminus of the PCT, really only expecting to hike for a short time. But one day turned into two, turned into a week, then a month, and even after dislocating his shoulder, he continued north. In this episode, we talk about his whatever-it-takes trail, going through the Sierras alone, the challenges of hiking under a visa time limit, and how he discovered the Pacific Crest Trail in the first place. You can find this episode and all previous episodes at hiking-through.com, as well as on our brand new Hiking Through channel on YouTube, where for this episode, we have a very special curated version by Shaba himself. Enjoy my conversation with Dignity. Let's get this party started. Right on. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to the podcast, Dignity. Um, And thank you so much for for dropping in from the UK. My pleasure. Happy to be here. You are sporting, as as I sort of noted earlier, you are sporting quite a different look from the wild man that was on the PCT. Yeah, I'm afraid having to uh, return to civilization, you know, it's uh, it's a more employable look. Also, I'm getting older, so. <laughs> I, I thought you were going to say that going back to civilization uh, scared all the hair off or something like that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, you know, stress, you know, re-enters when, you, when you're off trail again. I don't know, though. You had quite a stressful, I mean, not that everybody doesn't have a stressful hike per se because there's there can be a lot of challenging things on the trail but Mm -hmm. you had a particularly special trail (laughs) well yeah it was really hard for me and uh, I've had problems with dislocated shoulders in the past and I've had operations on it before so for it to happen on trail was you know not lucky but I believe that everybody's fortune shifts and once you actually, uh, once that happens to you, uh, your actions are your answer. So you will be asked those uh, those questions by adversity that happens on trail, and how you how you react is is how you actually answer. So I decided, you know, I can either you know just throw in the towel or uh, or just get you know what I can and just keep pushing through where I can. Mm-hmm. Well, and I, I watched your videos and I watched the uh 
the evolution of your cart, so to speak. All right. You know, Paul McCartney. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, so, I was going to say, so before we jump into that, because I do want to talk about the cart and the whole cart of it all. Um, okay. But can you tell everybody a little bit of, about what happened? Like what caused the whole shift that you had to make? Sure, absolutely. So I made it through the desert. I made it through the Sierras. I'm 40 miles south of South Lake Tahoe when uh, the, you know, the snow starts to taper off and the mountains start to flatten out. And unfortunately, there is this a couple of feet of snow bridge over this small river. And, um, you know, I'm pumped. I'm like, oh, my God, the, the, the snow is done. I can push big miles again. I I'm with an amazing trail family, uh, Coconut Jam and Chief. And what happens is that Chief is in front of me. He passes through this snow bridge, no problem. And I go right after him, a couple of feet after him, and it collapses. I fall through. And in the snow bridge itself, I, I fall onto my shoulder and I hit hard. And um, everything just, you know, gets drenched in the, in the river. But uh, the river is about a couple of feet tall. So I just uh, take a hit on the bottom of the river and I dislocate my shoulder as a result. So oh. when I... Um, yeah, so it's, that's the sixth time it happened to me in my lifetime. Jesus. Um, yeah. And I've had an operation on it before, so it shouldn't have happened. Um, so, um, chief and coconut gem comes over, helps me out. I'm just like shocked because I know instantly that I'm not, I can't, I can't wear a backpack with this. I know I had it five times before. I know how much of a pain this is. I know how much it hurts if it's not treated within a couple of hours and um, I know that my arm will have to be in a sling for weeks. So, and I know it hurts to walk with, even if it's my shoulder, it hurts to walk. So mm -hmm. I know instantly, like that goes through my head. I've been through the hardest part of the PCT <laughs> and then, and then North Calus, you know, the easy section. And then this happens. So, okay. Okay. No worries. I get my, uh, you know, my GPS uh, dongle out and I push the SOS button. And um, the sheriff helicopter comes in two hours, uh, three hours maybe. And in three and a half hours, I'm in my hotel room drinking beer um, <laughs> after the hospital visit. And um, yeah, real, real shock to the system. So that's what happens. Yeah. And what I had to do, I have two options. I either, I either get an alpaca and uh, like, go back on trail. Uh, when you say an alpaca, like the animal alpaca. The animal alpaca. <laughs> Not like an alpaca hat, like an alpaca animal to carry my stuff because I couldn't wear a backpack for a while. Right. Um, for approximately, you know, like five weeks, I couldn't wear a backpack. So right. um, I decided, you know, to look for an alpaca. And even in the hospital, when I was in there, um, the the nurse's assistant or the doctor's assistant was like, oh, so what, what are you going to do? You're hiking the PCT. I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to do something. <laughs> so she was like, I actually know an alpaca farmer not far from here. I was like, give, give me his number. I, I want to call him. And I tried to call him from hospital, but um, it didn't work out. Uh, short, long story short. So I just walked into a sports, uh, a sports shop and I got one of those beach trolleys uh, for 50 bucks. And, um, it, um, that's how I decided to tackle the Pacific Crest Bicycle Trail for as long as I have to, and then jump back on trail in Oregon. Now, the Pacific—I've never heard of the Pacific Crest Bicycle Trail. Grant you, I'm not 
I have not in the past been interested in doing the Pacific Crest Bicycle Trail, but in your videos, you make the comment about what that actually is or, or how much of a bicycle trail that actually is. Right. So it's sometimes called the, the North Cascades bike trail as well. Okay. And it's, it's not much of a bike trail at all. I mean, there is a route and there is some vague information on Wikipedia and some other uh, sites if you Google it, but it's, it's a very vague map. And um, sometimes there is a bike, an actual bike path, and there is no specific route either. It's just like, it's somewhere in that direction. Just go that way. <laughs> you know, there's no app. There is no one, no trail angels, no support from fellow hikers, nobody else. Um, there's no, you know, no information on where you're going to get your water, where you're going to sleep. Mm. Are you allowed to, to, you know, to camp somewhere? You know, is it, is it private property? Is it public? Who knows? There's a lot of farmland in North California. And, um, you know, I actually ended up walking on the... Um, uh, I think it's the M5 uh, that okay. goes all the way to Canada uh, for a while too. And um, oh, you talk about the I5. I5, that's the one. That's the oh one. Jesus. Yeah, that's... I know. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Um, so yeah, there's no uh, no real route to it. Um, so yeah, that was a real struggle. That was actually harder than the Sierras for me. Yeah, and and you're there with an arm and a sling basically right. mm -hmm. pulling pushing whatever this cart that essentially has all your worldly possessions in it at that point right yes absolutely which which actually keeps tipping over almost once every two days and um i i try to come up with ways of carrying it because going downhill i actually have to actually have to have to have it like in front of me so I, I pull its weight rather than push it and guide it down. And on uphills, I had my arm behind me and then kept pulling it. Um, so I, I very quickly got uh, two sticks and just strapped them to my side. And I looked like a horse and carriage, which you can see in the videos. Yeah. Um, and that actually worked really well, but it also increased the chance of the cart tipping over. But it was a, wor a worthwhile risk to take because... You, I just have one arm, you know, I have to, I, I would like to use a walking pole on, on the other. Uh, I can't, you know, um, risk the injury in my leg from that 7.5% of uh, making the walk easier uh, mm -hmm. from using that trekking pole. Yeah. Well, and I saw the, you have the video where you're on this, what is it? What are you trying to do? You're on the side of the road, walking away from camera, and then you need to, pull it onto road or something like that and it literally tips over yeah yeah yeah. and which is one thing which is bad enough and, and annoying mm -hmm. enough but as it tips mm -hmm. over and everything starts to scatter across the road your camera picks up there's another car coming right and then you cut out so what happened <laughs> <laughs> so there are a lot of near misses that happens on on the roads and mm -hmm. that's just one of them that i happen to catch on camera um because sometimes I, I actually got stopped by police as well, you know, saying I can't actually pull my cart on the road. So I have to pull it off the road in the, you know, the gravel, the, the dirt and and the grass. And that's bumpy. And sometimes there are logs in the way and, and you know, rocks. So it's impossible. And I can't physically lift the cart with one hand. So I have to somehow get the get the cart from the, the dirt track onto the road at that particular junction. And that's that's. Um, on the north of the um, Lake Tahoe uh, road. So if, if anyone's been there, they know that the roads on the west side of Lake Tahoe are um, 
narrow. They're very narrow. Um, hardly enough for two cars. So, and there are massive drops either side of them uh, at some places. So that was one of those sections. And um, I've set up my camera to film as usual. And um, I'm trying to, you know, dodge this obstacle. And my car, car tips over and all my stuff just kept, you know, pummeling down this hill. And I spent three hours looking for my sleeping bag um, in this um, this shrubbery, this this spiky shrubbery, mind you, um, with one arm. And it's literally about 50 degrees steepness. And it's, you know, non-treaded path. And there are all this shrubbery about. And, you know, I'm you know, so upset that I have to pull this thing. And... And I have to look for my sleeping bag. Do I, you know, after like two hours of looking, do I, do I go back to South Lake Tahoe and, and walk for, I don't know, 50, 60 miles back to town and then get a sleeping bag? Or do I, um, you know, just push on forwards, find a hotel or, and then, you know, figure it out. So I think um, that, that is such a, a mental challenge because, you know, at, at, at that point you're, you're physically fit to, to look, you know, and climb up and down hills for three hours, even all day. But it's it's that mental challenge that, you know, uh, that you have to overcome. And that's what's so beautiful about the trail, because um, I'm so much better of a person because of it. <laughs> I would expect, I mean, the, the trail challenges everyone anyway. Mm-hmm. But I would expect that adding the cart dynamic to your journey of the trail um, was sort of an every day, every couple of hours type of additional challenge or, you know, mentally you had to mentally, you had to kind of stop and say, okay, how badly do I want this? Like, what is this worth for me or to me to do this thing that has become extraordinarily harder than it had to be. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there is definitely points which where I wanted to quit almost every day, you know, came to the trail, uh, to, to pushing the cart, you know, mm-hmm. on, on the, the bike trail. And, um, but by that point, it's become quite every day to have thoughts of that because I went on trail thinking, you know, all my previous sort of long distance adventures failed in the past. So why would this one be different? Um, so I was like, I told all my family, my mom, you know, don't worry, mom, I'm only going for a week or two weeks because that's, you know, don't worry about it. That's, I'm just going to see how it goes. And after a couple of days, there's, I think in, in many people, there is this realization that, oh my God, this is the best thing that has ever happened to me. I want to keep pushing and there, it just gives you so much energy and it's, it's such a beautiful thing. How, <clears throat> sorry, I'm. I'm realizing I'm kind of dark, so I'm going to try another light here, but or additional no light. But um, how? There we That's go. Uh, okay, I, I so want to dig into literally what all of the stuff that you just said, because I think <laughs> okay. that that is something that's running through everybody's head, and and I think that certainly for me personally, like that's that's not that uncommon to be, you know, I've tried these other big things and for whatever reason, I didn't finish them. I didn't complete them. And and so you get into that headspace of this will just be another, you know, another one of those things. I'll go out there for a while and then 
I'll end up quitting for whatever reason it is um, and come home and it'll just be adding to that list. How did you, because what you just said was that that was kind of where you started. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Where was it for you that you were like, okay, I'm taking this day by day, but it's working. Like I'm doing it. I think for most people, people provide that motivation because I'm sure that many of us can relate to not really fitting in, into the society. You know, uh, if someone wants to hike in the woods for six months, you, you have to be a, a type of person, which I am and we all are. And it's a very small minority of people and people just don't understand. And as a result, I think it's really hard to find people that are like you and get excited by the things that you do, uh, which is, you know, being outdoors and loving nature and, and loving the people that are in it. So I think the PCT is just the perfect mixture and cocktail of um, pushing you forwards and motivating you. And um, we, you actually gather strength as you go uh, on this journey because the, the communities there, you know, there are so many trail angels helping you. The scenery is absolutely breathtaking, beautiful. Uh, 2019 was a um, high snow year, high precipitation yes. year. So there was super bloom in a desert. I've never been even, never even been to a desert. I was like, oh my God, wow, <laughs> wow. You know, being a, a photographer, um, just it's like being in a, in a candy shop as a kid. It's, it's absolutely amazing. And so you have, you have the scenery, you have the people and you have the support um, and you have, you have this, uh, the, the natural endorphins and that gets released from doing the, the, this exercise, you know, continuously. It's just amazing. And all these factors are just this whole beautiful cocktail of, um, of, of, of things that happen to you on trail. And I just, you just get lost in it and you gather the strength as you go. I mean, the first day I hiked three miles, three miles. I love it. (laughs) And, you know, anyone that that is looking to do it is just, just get started. You know, that's the hardest thing to get started, I think. Were you kind of, so you said that you had, when you decided to do it or when you were going to do it, you had said to your mom, you know, don't worry, it'll just be a couple of weeks and then I'll be back. Mm -hmm. And then a couple of weeks go by and you're still there and it's still working and you're like, okay, just another week. And then another yeah. week. And then is yeah, that kind of the much, conversation? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, I'll just give you a couple of weeks and then see how it goes. And then a, a week later, I'm like, yeah, this is pretty good. I know already at that time that I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna push all the way as far as far as I can. But I'm just I'm just gonna give it another month, you know, mom. Don't worry. I'm, I'm this is great. Don't worry about it. <laughs> what was your mom's response to you doing this? So she was, she's used to me doing stuff like ah, this. I, okay. I mean, I, um, I'm very much into rock climbing and skating and snowboarding. So she's always worried about me and some form or not, some form or another. I mean, that's, that's what parents mm-hmm. do, right? That's their job. Um, yeah. but I think she's just used to it at, at this point. She wasn't even, uh, she wasn't as worried as when we climbed the tallest tree in England. Um, with when you buddy. climb the tallest tree. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 60 meters which is like I don't know 180 feet something like that yeah something like that I would so love to know why you climbed the hot tiles tree I I can't stop myself I've got to ask the question (laughs) 
Um, it's a short answer. I've, in my filming career, uh, I've been a cinematographer for a while. And uh, the first people that I, I made films for was a tree cutting shop, uh, a professional arborist shop, uh, alpine tree cutting, you know. In, so they, they climbed trees, these huge, enormous trees. And I just filmed all these courses and uh, I was like, oh my God, I, I want to do this. And so I got all the gear. I just started climbing and got into that community of tree climbing people. And I was like, what's the best tree to climb? The, obviously the biggest one in England. So I have to go and climb it. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. But I guess that kind of, that kind of segues us into you're a professional photographer, professional cinematographer basically right and you brought a lot of that gear with you um, right in order to really document this whole adventure mm -hmm. um for you that's not light <laughs> <No>. <laughs> it's it's all in all three kilos of gear extra wow. so i i didn't want that to I, I could not I could not not bring it you know mm -hmm. I had to just pack it down to the bare minimum and my camera I use at work and I said I have to bring this because I want the quality to be there it's going to be amazing if I do pull it off so yeah carrying that around is quite a challenge cleaning it also is a huge challenge and managing the the data that you you capture and the footage that mm -hmm. you capture is, is also a huge challenge but well worth it by far the best shots of my life are are taken on trail and sometimes by accident um the, the best shot i think one of the best is um on in the john muir trail john uh yeah one of the john muir bits on the john muir trail and it's this picture looking up at the stars because we start at around 2 a.m every, every morning we start at around 2 2 a.m to you know uh, walk on the frozen snow because you can't walk on slushy snow as far mm -hmm. so uh, you know, we get up and I just have five minutes to myself whilst my chill family is packing up. So I'm like, okay, where, where can I take a picture of? Everything is pitch black. Oh, wait, <laughs> the stars. Okay, cool. <laughs> so I just play around for, you know, four minutes, five minutes and all the, all the practice that, you know, I've been through all the university and the practice and the training and, uh, and the gear and you know how to use it just comes into practice at that one moment and even though that picture took me a couple of minutes to take you know that, that whole life experience of photography has come into it and that's what's so beautiful about that picture I think. Had you never really done much star photography or astrophotography before? Uh, I I do a little but England isn't the, the best place for yeah. it if you know what I mean. And I, I would imagine being out there where there's no uh, light bleeding from surrounding things you know yeah. you get quite the quite the clear pictures oh yeah light pollution is nowhere to be seen on on the john Muir trail true um, lots of airplanes <laughs> <laughs> do you have a f couple of airplane trails kind of going through some of your long yeah. exposures <laughs> yeah 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 when you set out on the trail with all of this camera gear what was your goal at that point were you going to do the films or were you just going to sort of capture what you could at, for as long as you were there? And then, you know, it would be a great adventure that you could talk about. Well, I was hoping I could do the trail right from the start. Okay. And um, my absolute motivation is people that document their trips. And if it wasn't for actual people writing books or 
filming this, I would not have done the trail. So Darwin on trail, Darwin on the trail and Dixie with homemade wanderlust, you know, without them, I would not have done the trail because I wouldn't have discovered it. I didn't, I wouldn't have known what to do, what gear to take, what gear not to take, what it's, what life is like on trail. So my goal with these is to motivate other people to go and live their dreams because if it wasn't for videos like this i would have not done it myself and i'm so grateful for them to that they have done it and i haven't really seen or heard of a, an actual um professional actually doing it uh, a cinematographer that's that's been on trail before so i thought this is my opportunity you know this uh, i will I, you know i will carry the burden of three kilos and mm -hmm. uh, and just try and document it as best as i can do you feel like with the cameras and that kind of stuff, do you feel like you got all the shots that you wanted or were there, there were, were there a few that you're kind of like, ah, that, it's gone. <laughs> we're moving on. Uh, yeah. So there was a couple of like wildlife moments uh, with some deer and, and some other bits. I actually saw a uh, puma at one point. Oh, so really? I, like, I wish, I wish I had my camera out for that. <laughs> But um, it was way too quick. And I, I, I'm very grateful that I didn't see it, to be honest with you. But, uh, well, I didn't see it for long. Mm -hmm. um, but, yeah, I, I'm a very minimalist photographer. Um, and I, I, in, um, I had my camera in my bag for the reason of I'm only going to take this shot if I know that it's worth it. I know that it's worth stopping, getting the camera out, taking it out of its case, taking Got the picture, it. putting it back. Um, so I think that's really that qualitative mindset uh, comes into it of, of the footage. So you didn't have it like handy, like on your shoulder strap or anything like that. I tried it for a little while, but only in the last two weeks in Washington when I didn't physically have the space in my pack uh, to, to put it inside. What was, th what was the date when you finished? Uh, so it was the 17th of September. Oh, okay. Okay. So not too, too late, but you're starting to get there. Yeah. Um, when you were, when you were doing the, the hike, you seem to move in a lot of different family bubbles. And mm -hmm. even in the Sierras, you, you switched a couple of times, the families that you were hiking with. Mm -hmm. Was that just about logistics and that kind of thing or? Yeah. I mean, uh, I, most of my hiking bubbles were American, American hikers. Mm -hmm. So they don't have a, a time limit on when they can finish the trail. And I very much had a, you know, very clear deadline um, of when I can, how long I can stay in America for. Yeah. So uh, I actually just had to push on because of time uh, the first two times. And the third time I had to leave my trail family behind because of my shoulder. Right. Well, and that was what, from the shoulder perspective, I mean, that was what pushed you to, to the cart because you still, you had that time, uh, that six month window that that was all that you had. Yeah. How long did you end up uh, with the cart? So I was almost a month I was putting the cart for, um, it was a couple of hundred miles. Okay. Um, like three, 300 something miles. It was all, all the way from South Lake Tahoe all the way to Ashland. Uh, oh, wow. I was yeah. So okay. it's a long time to, yeah. <laughs> to be putting a cart on the road for. 
well worth it absolutely worth it but you know if i didn't do that i calculated i would have had to walk for 56 miles a day um after i could wear a backpack again i was like there's no way i'm going to do that that would ruin the experience for me yeah well and that would probably wreck your body as well oh yeah would be my guess much more than it already was right (laughs) right yeah yeah jeez no that's i mean that's that's a long ways and i guess it's funny like that's always what when we think about going from mexico to canada and you're like okay it's 2650 miles and it's going to take about x number of months depending upon how fast you go it's always so interesting to me like when you look at it as a big thing it feels very overwhelming it feels very how how am i going to be able to do this like how am i going to be able to finish it you know that kind of thing but when you start breaking it down into the smaller pieces and then you start realizing that at a certain point you're going you know 20 miles a day so you're 100 miles in 5 days and it it amazes me when you start looking at it on that more granular level how fast somebody can move how fast you can move on the trail like that was that anything that like particularly having started with 3 miles in that first day was that mm-hmm. something that you ever reflected back on and were like wow, I, <laughs> I'm moving. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's a very visual, you know, looking at the map, it's uh, Southern California takes the most of, you know, the majority of the time. So just looking at that map uh, exponentially, you know, make pro- looking at you on the map exponentially making progress on it mm-hmm. is very motivational. And I think that's, that's an experience for everyone at first, you know, you find it difficult to just do 10 miles sometimes and even do just five miles after a 10 mile day, you know, seems like the hardest thing in the world, but, uh, you know, we get the strength as we go. And, and I think that applies to what you're talking about. Uh, your endurance just grows for it. And you're like, okay, I, if I just stick it out and just, you know, do twenties, 25 a day, I will get there in a couple of months time. And it's, you know, it's easy to lose sight of that, but then there's all that cocktail that we talked about earlier of the people and the, the experience and the help and the just the love that's on trail uh, that just helps helped me push push through it and helps I'm sure helps to push all others through it as well. Yeah, when you came back onto the trail after in Ashland, yeah. um, after the whole cart experience, were you still? Did you still have your hiker legs per se, or like? Or did you have to start kind of slow again and then work back up? So I don't think the uh, the majority of the, the hiker muscles just went away because I was doing 25, 30 miles. But I was doing it on road, which uses mostly the same kind of muscles. And what I realized is that I'm always walking on the camber on the road because you're on the side of it. And... Um, yeah, it's cambered for water to fall off, mm-hmm. to, to dribble off. So that meant that uh, it, it was just uncomfortable for, for the body to, to walk that. So get, getting back on trail and using those different muscles, which is required on trail because you step in different places all the time. It's much more varied versus much more um, static on, on, yeah. on the road. It was just such a relief. I could use uh, trekking poles. I could, um, you know, I could be on trail. I could wear a backpack. It was such... <laughs> Such a, a big change. Oh, my God. No one has ever been so happy to see their backpack again. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was 
it was such a good feeling. What's really strange, and I've heard people talk about it as well after they got off get off trail, is um, that when they don't wear a backpack, their back hurts, their lower lumbar area actually hurts because there isn't that pressure that they used to, there isn't that weight. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was really flaring up for me uh, on the beginning of the, the road hikes and that never really went away. And as soon as I, I got back on trail, I got that weight on my shoulders again. Um, and that really helped me actually push the miles. I feel like it's a, it's partly a posture thing, like the backpack oh, yeah. pulls you upright and 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 the um, the trekking poles actually help with the weight um, because it's directly connected to your shoulder. Mm-hmm. But once there is not no weight on the shoulder, then the distribution of the weight is somewhere else. So or it's just lower down. So that's where the lower spine, you know, just gets it. That's the stress. Did you have that same issue or uncomfortableness when you finished and hung the the backpack back up again? At the end <laughs> I, I didn't do much hiking after. I finished, um, I'm afraid. Oh no. Well, and then we get, I guess we went into pandemic. So yeah. (laughs) Did you have plans to want to do something last year or? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I was going to do the Te Araroa in New Zealand. Yeah. And, um, partly why I wasn't hiking too much when I returned is because I was saving up for the next trail and I have, all of them, the Patagonia Trail, the um, Arizona Trail, the Continental Divide, Appalachian, Terroir, and you, you name it, I want to do it. <laughs> I'm going to do it at some point. Now that you've, now that you've finished, officially finished something, a trail, a, an adventure, uh, it's, it feels sort of like the sky's the limit. Well, it, it seems like the PCT really was a just really hard to do compared to the, uh, these other trails. Probably not the CDT, but, um, you know, compared to, for example, the Arizona Trail. Yeah, I, I would feel confident that That'll I'm work. like 50% going to finish that, you know? <laughs> uh-huh. Was there ever, this seems like a, now that I'm saying it, I'm thinking it out loud in my head and I'm, I'm like, this is a silly question because of course there was. But aside from the the cart or the shoulder dislocation incidents, um, was there ever a time out there where you're like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to finish this? Or did it just one day built on the next, built on the next, and it just, the momentum was pushing you? Okay, so mostly, yes, but there is like momentary worries like that. And uh, the biggest worry when I left my trail family with um, Katie, SOS, and Rosie, um, or Kind of Bird, a trail name. Mm-hmm. And uh, I left them behind um, some, somewhere in the middle of the Sierras. And I pushed forward, and I actually hiked alone, which is not a good idea, especially in a high snow year. <laughs> and I crossed Bear Creek by myself and all its tributaries. And... I was crossing one of the tributaries at Bear Creek and I just fell in. The water just took me and I drifted about a couple of hundred feet down in the river. And it was, it was like, you know, it was like up to like below my chest Mm -hmm. and it was quite really scary. Um, that, that was probably the scariest moment on trail. And at that point when, you know, you, you lose your footing and you have my backpack on the top, you know, just carrying it like this and, you know, I lost my footing and I was like, 
I'm, I might not actually finish this thing. <laughs> um, so, but, but I, you know, I kind of swam to the side and I, I got my balance pretty quick, uh, pretty quick. Uh, it felt like a lifetime, but it must've been, you know, like 10, 15 seconds. But by that time, the water just, just dragged me all the way down. Um, so that, that was quite scary. And that's when I didn't think I was going to finish because I got out. I was like, oh my God, what if this happens again? I'm alone. What, what, you know, what, what's going to happen next? I have no idea. Was it literally the pressure of the six month visa that was pushing you in the Sierras? Cause there was a couple of times watching your videos, there was a couple of times where you went off alone, like you're talking about here, um, mm-hmm. which is kind of crazy in the Sierras in a high snow year, but uh you know, and, and you, you did it. And I'm assuming that you did it again, even after like the Bear Creek thing, um, because you felt that you needed to, I'm assuming. Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, what other choices do you have? You know, you, uh, you either get to the next town or you press the SOS button. Like that's the two, that's the, that's the two options. And I was like, I'm not really, I haven't injured myself. Uh, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna push you know, through at least to the next town, but, you know, you cycle through those thoughts and then you're like, Oh, I'm fine again. This is, this is great. I met this X, Y, Z and I'm okay. And we just keep moving forward and yeah, we'll just take it day by day and see what happens. Do what we can. <laughs> I mean, Bear, Bear Creek was a, was a moment for you that was very scary and, and, but it wasn't based on the videos that you were showing. That wasn't, the only time when you stopped and said, because uh, I think there was one moment where you were alone and you would run out of water and you had to go down. Like there was water close, but it was not easy to get to. Yeah. Um, you know, and you're so like, go. Sorry. That was the, uh, that was near, that was on the summit to the John Muir mountain or towards the John Muir shelter. And, um, I didn't pack enough water out because I thought that, you know, the gut hooks shows you where the reliable water is. And it's, you know, the, the water report tells you where there is likely to be water, but, you know, in a high snow year, it's really ironic because you're walking on water and <laughs> it's, <laughs> there is water underneath water, but you can't get to it. So I got to a reliable quote marks, speech marks, <laughs> reliable water source. And you just, there was just no water that mm. drinkable. And I was cold soaking at the time. So I didn't even have a stove to, to melt water with. So uh, I kept pushing on. I was like, oh my God, where, I'm go- where am I going to get water? Um, there is that lake really nearby, um, but it's just, you know, under, under, under snow. So you can't get to it. And about a mile from the summit, there, there is, I heard this water. Uh, but I couldn't see it. I, I just heard water. Like it wasn't under the snow because you can hear it when it's under the snow sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I'm like, okay, I have to get it. I, I haven't drunk water for like a couple of miles. I am, you know, really thirsty. I'm really scared that I'm going to run out. There's no one about, absolutely no one about. It's like 3 p.m. in the afternoon. No one is going to come up here until tomorrow at least, you know, uh, because some of the mountains in the, in the morning when the, when the snow is frozen. And so I was like, okay, I hear water. I'm going to go investigate. So uh, I put my backpack down and I, I go towards this Creek where I hear the water 
this this sort of rocky formation and I get to it and the water is roaring loud and it's basically where uh, the the sun has melted away the melted away the snow because it was near the dark rock uh, but it's about a 20 30 foot drop and I've been climbing for a very long time but I felt very uncomfortable climbing down that rock face and I, I got down and it's literally uh, sort of a um, sort of a chimney almost like a, a, a chimney that's that's long and it, mm-hmm. there's just water at the bottom of it like a uh, like a chimney like that and I just climbed down and I could touch the touch the snowbank behind me and I was sort of shimmying down um and with my water bottles you know stuffed into my pants and I was like shimmying down and I got to the bottom of it and I realized that there is this it's huge maybe uh 20 20 feet of water is is like there underneath but you couldn't see it from the top so it's just roaring and it's pummeling its way through the snow bank underneath the snow so I got to the bottom of it there wasn't much of an edge to it so I had to sort of like hold onto the rock and then uh sort of just lean down try and get my water you know and often you know a couple of times I actually slipped and I was like what if I slip here, I'm going to fall in and be dragged instantly underneath that um, snow tunnel. That's literally a couple of feet away from me. That's, I'm not going to come back from that. So that was super scary. And I was alone and I climbed out and I did, you know, did what I had to do. And um, yeah, I, that, that was a very scary moment as well. Did any of these change the way that you hiked? particularly knowing that you were hiking, that you were having to hike a bit alone like that? Um, yeah. So I just tried to hike with people, <laughs> <laughs> you know, be more sensible and, you know, stick, stick to your safety senses, have your safety hat on mm-hmm. uh, a little bit more because, you know, what's, it's not worth getting to Canada a day quicker. Yeah. You know? Right. Or not getting to Canada at all. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> that's what, that's what I was trying to say. Yeah. 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 And I, I feel like out on the trail like that, there, there are constant decisions like that or, or choices like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, whether you're hiking with, with other people or not uh, about what you do. And it's probably, particularly if you had, no problems up to a certain point or or whatever it's probably hard to remember that something could be dangerous mm-hmm. yeah you you get accustomed to risk i think because crossing the road is way more dangerous than uh, well if you cross the road for six months at a time right mm-hmm. uh, just constantly going back and forwards on a busy intersection you are so much more in danger of dying than on trail or anything yeah. to happen to you on, on trail so it's just getting used to relative risk because, you know, you and I cross the road, no problem. I crossed the road many times. I'm confident in crossing yeah. the road, so I'm not worried about it. Um, but, you know, uh, being a European guy, never really been with, never seen dangerous snakes. Oh, yeah. Bears and coyotes and uh, wolves and, you know, whatever else that's trying to eat you. Mm-hmm. Um so I'm like, oh my God, what's going to happen? And and it doesn't help that people fear monger a lot. And I guess that's why, um, you know, news is so successful because people l- latch onto that and, be, and, you know, try to put the fear in your mind subconsciously. 
and your subconscious picks up on it. You're like, oh my God, this guy's worried about it. And you know, your your lizard brain from you know from evolution just just latches onto that because that's how we survived as a species. And you're like, oh, okay, this is I have to realize it. You know, it's people that talk about this kind of thing that haven't been there before and haven't done it, and they're just you know. They, they looked at uh, a couple of mountain lion attacks on Facebook or YouTube and they're like, they're an expert now. You know, you, you can't let those people get to you because that's not the reality of hiking the PCT. For you, what is the reality? Well, for me, it's just, uh, I, see, I see life, just regular life as two, three, four at best out of 10. And what, what hiking is for me is a solid eight, nine and above. Um, yes, you get some low points. Absolutely. And the oscillation is much bigger. You get massive peaks and troughs in, in through, through hiking, but it's very much up there in, you know, in the eights and the tens. Uh, but regular life is just not that good for me. So that, that puts it into perspective of how good through hiking is for some people. Yeah. And I, it feels like most people who've fall in love with through hiking probably would say something very similar. Absolutely. And I'm hoping that you'll say the same thing after your PCT experience. <laughs> it's it's now probably a couple of years off, but it's still, it's still in the cards. So jealous that oh. you'll get to experience that for the first time. Uh, what was that first th- three mile day like for you? It was very exciting. Uh, I got to San Diego and you know, there's lots, lots to learn. Um, done my preparations, and I arrived in America for the first time in my life. And everything was like in the movies. It's like, wow, they have big cars, and the, you know, the, the streets look like grids, and the people talk like Americans. <laughs> <laughs> so I was just so overwhelmed, and um, I, I still had gear coming in to the hostel I was staying at. So I stayed in San Diego for a while, and. Um, Whilst my gear was coming in, I got it at sort of midday, one day, on my start day, the 23rd of March. And um, I got my gear. I was like, right, no waiting, onto the trail. <laughs> so I so I got onto trail. I, I took the bus and, and walked from Campo down to the campus. Uh, yeah. uh, uh, f- f- sorry, from, from Campo all the way to the terminus. And, um, yeah, I got there. It was sunset. It was beautiful. I was in tears literally i was like oh my god i've been dreaming of this for or, or an adventure of this magnitude for all my life and i'm here and i'm ready and i'm about to take the first step very overwhelming three miles out would have put you literally just beyond campo probably right yeah yeah a mile beyond campo. <laughs> <laughs> so you basically just doubled your 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 miles going down and then back up again Yes, technically I did five, but you know, in, in the time, in the eyes of the PCT, it was great. Yeah. Well, it, it, watching your videos, it made me wonder, it was sort of like watching Survivor Man a little bit in so much as you don't think about it, but every time that you like walk by a camera, you know, you've got to place the camera, you've got to walk by the camera, you've got to come back for the camera, and then you've got to get back to where you were. And there were some shots that you did that you went quite a ways <laughs> um, and then had to come back. Yeah. Uh, you know, dedicated to, <laughs> to that art form, I suppose. I think, I think the biggest, 
occasion where I did that was crossing a pretty big river. And it's, I think it's an episode six or seven, somewhere in the Sierras, where I actually cross a, a pretty big river. And I obviously have to cross, put the camera down, cross the river, put my gear down, come back and then cross it again. So crossing the river three times. And, um, you know, you just can't do that uh, at other places. And I probably shouldn't have done that. It's not quite worth the hassle, but I got good footage. So there you go. Yeah, there was one, and maybe this is the river that you're talking about. There was one, okay, here's my here's my geeky film production, TV production, whatever brain going off. But there was one river crossing that you did that you had three different angles of the crossing um, right. that you cut together. And, mm -hmm. and I was like, it's almost like you have film crews there setting up with their <laughs> different cameras and catching the moments. And then you edit it all together. And, but it, because I think you only had like one camera out there to actually record with. Yeah. yeah. And that's what I thought. So it's like, okay, so you had to place it, do it place it, do it, yeah. and then place it and do it, or do the last little bit again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, it's it's quite a challenge because, you know, you get yeah. to a spot, you're like, and I'm sure you can relate if you've done, you know, like outdoors nature stuff before, like get to a spot, you're like, the sun's not in the right place. The clouds are not right. It's cloudy. I can't do astro. You know, <laughs> it's windy. My tripod's going to move. It's raining. I can't do it. There's too many clouds. You know, it's too dark. I need my exposure to be better. <laughs> uh, I've run out of memory. I've run out of battery. So you get to a, a spot and you really have to commit to, you know, to doing something because, um, you, you know, sometimes the, the pictures doesn't, uh, it doesn't line up. So if the conditions are not right, you just have to, you know, get moving or just stay there a couple of days until you get that shot, whichever one's, you know, worth your time. Mm -hmm. Did you ever stay someplace for a while in order oh, yeah. to get the shot? Oh yeah, <laughs> uh, that that view after oh, what's the what's the first town? I can't quite remember after Campo, uh, like Julia? Lake Marina or Julia, Julian. You actually go into for the pies and stuff. Oh oh yeah yeah. Um, so Lake Marina, Lake Marina. After Lake Marina, there is this breathtaking view of um, Salt Lake. I think it's uh, the Salt Lake City. No, Salt uh, Harvey. Mojave Salt and Sea or maybe Salt and something. Sea. That's the one. Salt and Sea. And you can see the Mojave Desert and um uh Spring uh something city called Spring something. Warner Springs. Uh, Palm Spring. Palm Spring. You Palm Springs, okay. Palm so you're Springs. up there. And um that's I just stopped there and I was like uh, just absolutely shocked and I was like I have to sleep here it's absolutely I have to stay here for the night you know watch the sunset go down watch it come up again and that you know some some places are like that you have to you just can't leave because it's so beautiful and I think why some people leave without a camera as as well because they that people realize that you can't you're not going to relive that moment you can go to that place again and this is one of the questions I struggle with a lot if someone asked me, what was your favorite spot? What was your favorite section? You know, that, that section wouldn't have been so amazing if it wasn't for the, the journey leading up to it. Uh, the, the, your experience makes that section beautiful. And granted, the view is beautiful, but your experience of the view is, is, is completely objective to you. And um, you're not going to have the same experience as I did on, on that section. But Mojave Desert surely is a great site. <laughs> 
Well, and you were also lucky because you had you were in a super bloom, so yeah. everything is colorful and yeah. you know, and water was plentiful, relatively speaking, and and yeah. the whole bit. Yeah. Does it make you like? With that being said, does it make you go, "Hey, I I want to do or I could do the PCT again," because the experience will be completely different. The people will be different. The experiences leading up to any moments will be different. I would love to. Um, absolutely love to because I'm, I'm not sure how the community is on different trails and different trails don't offer the the right cocktail of the right ingredients um for uh, f- for this experience so you you know you have the different sections of trail um you have all you know the, the desert the sierras the, mm-hmm. the mountains and the, the forests and you just don't really have that anywhere else where there is also a very strong community supporting you and um the you know it's in you have you can do it in that that season and i I don't think there is that much um adversity in 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 the landscape where you also have this support of through hikers yeah and you had a i mean it was a crazy year because of the snow but it was probably the biggest class of people starting to date. Yeah. Yeah. So there was a couple of thousand, I think like seven, 8,000 people starting that year. Yeah. It was, it was pretty wild. Yeah. And I think less than 800 finished or somewhere in the 800 ballpark. Not surprising again, considering the snow and, but even without the snow, even without the heavy snow, like the Sierras are always going to be challenging going northbound. um, Just regardless. Would you ever, th- would you ever maybe flip it around and, and go southbound? And, and would be do it cool that to way? do a yo-yo. <laughs> uh, Could you that would be do nice. a yo-yo in six months? Uh, no, I would have <laughs> to, I would have to marry someone in America. <laughs> <laughs> There's an interesting conversation. Anyone okay. willing? <laughs> I just, I just want to do a yo-yo. That's that's it. It's it's so simple. <laughs> Mm. oh my god that would be funny i can almost picture picture that in my brain that that scene (laughs) when you took all of those pictures i mean like you've got stunning stunning pictures um that you took from the trail it almost feels like at the end of the day and i'm sure probably a lot of people feel this but you had the equipment to truly capture it Mm -hmm the the overwhelming wealth of pictures you know how do you, were you actually going through all of those things while you were out there or did you wait until you were in town or did you wait until you finished to try to sort through all of that stuff and so i i'm the kind of uh person that just sorts through it before i take the picture so if um i think you have to you know do it for a couple of years you have i'm sure you know that you have to have some experience to Mm-hmm. to to do that but i i did it before i took a shot so i'm like you know is, is this shot going to be good yes i'll take up my camera and then take a couple of variations of it um and and i just sorted sort it through it with the sort of behavioral uh hacking of having my camera in my bag and then i only taking it out when when i was using it but i almost got like uh more than a half a terabyte of footage because uh, i filmed most things in 4k yeah. How many, how many pictures did you end up with at the end of the day? I got a thousand usable ones okay. <laughs> from the whole trail. 
and I must have taken maybe 10 times that on trail. Jesus. But you're also doing something really special with all of those. Like, cause you have your website up mm-hmm. um, and you're contributing, donating whatever the proceeds from that to the PCTA. Yeah. So that website is, I'm trying to, that's, it's doing two things. It's hopefully, you know, some, someone will see the videos and the website and they will be like, they, they will discover the PCT and they will, you know, go through the journey that I did and go on the PCT. And that mm-hmm. if just one person does that, please let me know because that is why um, I did what I did. And the second reason is because I'm trying to give back to the community, like so many other hikers. Um, so I'm trying to sell the, the prints um, that the pictures, the, what the, some of the best pictures on trail and then give as much as I can to the PCT through that. Uh, also sold some stickers in the past and some t-shirts, but I haven't actually made a profit yet. Uh, last month, last month I made, um, I think it was a uh, 49 cents <laughs> the profit came in through the website, <laughs> so, through the affiliate links. Uh, so if you, if you go on the website and use, click on the Amazon link and then buy whatever you will be supporting the PCTA because I, I will give, uh, you know, as much as I can to the PCTA from the, from the profits. Right. Cause you've linked on your website, mm-hmm. which is traildork.com yeah and we're going to get into that in just a second but um you've linked like your equipment uh both your hiking gear as well as your camera gear yeah uh you've linked that over to being able to you know affiliate link it or whatever onto amazon um so that people could kit out kind of like what basically what you did yep was there anything that you started with based on all of the research that you had done that once you got out there, you were like, ah, no, this doesn't work for me. Okay. So, uh, three words, screw (laughs) tightening trekking poles or four words. There you go. (laughs) Just don't take them, man. Just, just don't do it. (laughs) Just buy some proper ones uh, that have the the levers because the screws on Titan and you're holding the trekking poles in your hands all day. And you want something nice to hold in your hands, it's going to make the experience much better. So I just chucked them uh, as soon as uh, I could. Um, those those screwing, screw-in trekking poles. Um, right. So you're... T- ins- Go on. For the trekking poles. So you're talking about the ones that have... Uh, you're, refer- you're recommending the ones that have the... Uh, uh, what is it? The, like lever. the lever. Yeah, that yeah, tightens yeah. and loosens, yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Or a fixed one. Um, not not the screw ones that sort of tighten and have the spring in it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that that was the, one of the first gear to go. Also, my pillow, my blow up pillow, went pretty quickly too. Um, it's like no, no, I need I need space for my cameras. Get get to here. <laughs> <laughs> how how do you sleep? Do you sleep on your back, your side, your stomach? I'm a very turbulent sleeper, and I sleep on both of my sides. Uh, on my left, less so, so because of my injuries. Um, right. But I sleep on my side. And because of that, a quilt was an amazing choice. And I would say that it's an amazing choice for anyone, even if you sleep on your back, uh, because it's so versatile. Just because it allowed you, because it wasn't, I guess, cocooning you, it allowed you to move and, and shuffle? Yeah, yeah. So um, it attaches to the, the pad that you sleep on. And 
that's really great because if you turn and shuffle the insulation in your if you if you were in a traditional sleeping bag it would compress and if you turn that compression will not undo itself for a while and there's also long long-term health effects to the performance of your sleeping bag as well if if you compress down for a long time it's not going to perform as well so a quilt is the way to go plus you don't you don't need the thing uh you don't need quilt underneath you because once the insulation is compressed you you're not going to get much r values out of it you're not going to get much heat out of it because the insulation right. is, is compressed it's it's from the air that it keeps in so it's literally very much pointless to have something underneath you that's down so why have something that's down when for the length of your body uh that you're and you're already trying to save you know space and weight it's a beautiful beautiful combination of of uh, efficiency if you get a quilt in my in my eyes was and it was warm enough for you when you were in the sierras uh-huh. so it was a 30 degree quilt and um it was warm uh, but in the sierras i did have to wear those booty down booty socks uh, <laughs> which is great and um uh i have to wear everything that's that i have even right. the even even underwear i have to wear because it was just too cold uh, wear all the socks, wear the down booties on top of the socks. Uh, how, how was that for you? I mean, cause obviously the stuff that you're wearing, did you have, actually, let me step back from that for a second. Did you have a sleep outfit? So what I tended to do is have a long sleeve thermal, um, okay. garment, like an under armor type thing and merino wool, uh, type a shirt long sleeve mm-hmm. and i took that i used that never on my body when i was hiking i only used it on my body when i was sleeping so you know you don't get sort of itchy scratchy from the sweat that's in your t-shirt all day mm-hmm. um but if i was it's it's a tactical piece of gear because if you're feeling cold then if you put it on top of your t-shirt it's not going to get as dirty as if you put it on your skin so that was my sleeping <laughs> setup <laughs> and my down my down booties were really nice as well did you have those ahead of time or did you pick those up in like Kennedy Meadows or Bishop or something? I picked it up uh, before Kennedy Meadows. Um, I think in Tehachapi, I picked them up. Okay. Yeah. Because you knew somebody recommended them or you just... Darwin on trail. You know, he <laughs> doesn't go anywhere without his his down booties because it just makes your sleeping bag like a couple of degrees warmer. It's always... Thank you very much. I, right. Thank you, Darwin. Thank um, you, Darwin. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's so funny because it's all those little hacks that um, seem so insignificant, but can truly make the difference between a good hike and a great hike. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's, it's a combination of things. And, you know, just like people ask many hikers, you know, what was your favorite section? You, you can't say what your favorite gear is because it's, it's not one particular thing. It's, a combination of things that work in harmony to provide you with the things that you need personally and you know what what actually works and uh you have to tweak its performance you know uh weigh it out weigh out its pros and cons excuse the pun but you have to weigh out the pros and cons <laughs> and um and hike with it so for, for example for me um ziplock bags amazingly useful um which you know we take them from granted but I don't think you can do a through hike without Ziploc bags. Uh, the Injinji toe socks that, you know, go on each toe individually and the Don Tough combo, uh, Don Tough sock combo worked brilliantly for me with gaiters. Um, compression are you, shorts. 
So you doubled up the socks. You had the Njinji and then the, okay. Yeah. So I feel that with compression socks, even in the desert, your feet will stay cooler. Um, And if for those listening that don't know, I think it's one of the reasons I, one of the, one of the major reasons I finished the through hike because the, the Njinji sock, it, it, it goes onto all of your toes and that grips your foot and it's designed to grip your foot, but it's designed to provide friction on the outside of the sock to the outer layer sock and the outer layer sock, the merino wool is designed to slide on the inside. So it creates friction where it, the, the resistance is way less than if it was directly on your foot. So it creates less blisters, it moves air and it circulates um, through your feet more and it just keeps your, your feet more healthy. And I think because of that reduced friction, you get less heat in your foot when you're hiking, not when you're standing still, but when you're hiking for sure. Mm -hmm. Did you have like an Njinji sock or was it just like a liner? So it was a pretty thin. It was just a liner. Okay. It was the the liner sock. I tried the the Fox River ones, but they just disintegrated within 50 miles. And I'd still have the Njinjis now. (laughs) It's sort of like the darn toughs. They just, they keep on going. They keep on. They, yeah. I, I only went through two pairs of darn toughs and I still have two pairs that I still used from more than half of the trail. <laughs> okay. I have to ask this question because again, I saw the video. Once you got your shoulder, once your shoulder was injured and, and mm. you know, you s- continued on and you still had to every morning put on those socks and the Njinji, which is not the easiest thing to put on in the best of days, let alone one-handed. How <laughs> right. did you do that? So I think in the videos, I actually show you one time I, I do this ordeal of getting dressed in the morning. And yeah, partly with my mouth, partly with my teeth, partly trying to, you know, force my arm down to my feet because I couldn't, because it was, it was a sling and it actually was really painful to, you know, move the shoulder so i was just i i spent about 45 sometimes an hour packing up my stuff and getting dressed in the morning and putting up the tent at night um, mm, yeah that, that took a little bit less because taking off clothes is, is a little bit easier but one-handed but it's it's quite uh quite a setback because i was known as the master of efficiency on trail i could uh get going in 15 minutes as, as soon as my alarm went off, or I woke up, I was on trail in 15 minutes, even with a tent, with a, with my hammock, less time. Like I shaved about five minutes off my time with a hammock. Um, but I'm knowing that I, I can do that. And that's one of the, a really good time saver for me is that I can pack up real quickly and just get going. And, you know, I can just sleep in a day. I can sleep, get that half an hour of naps in that other people might spend packing up their stuff. So that's a huge advantage for me. I felt like a superhero doing that. You know? uh, so I'm like, oh my God, I have this amazing advantage. Um, I'm, I'm good at doing that. Enjoy doing it. Not that there's anything wrong with doing it slow. Enjoy your time, you know, take your time, whatever. But on because it was really important for me to do that and to get my miles in, and I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it when I was pulling the cart. It was really, you know, taking a toll, especially because I couldn't do my yoga. I couldn't do my meditation because I was actually in pain. And it's just road, road noise. And it, it was, it was quite a challenge. It's funny because when, I guess in my head, when I think about the cart segment of the journey, 
there is the uncomfortableness. I mean, I, you know, your, your shoulder is still very injured and, and that kind of thing. And so there's the, the pain of that, but you don't necessarily think about all of the ways that it ripples out in, you know, what you were just talking about, like the way that you have to pack or unpack the amount of time that it increases that activity. Um, you know, I would think that cause the, the way that you were dealing with the cart seemed to change that initially you were, you were pushing it, you were pulling it, you rigged the, the, uh, the branches or whatever on your side, on your hips to, to pull it. Um, but all of those things changes the way also that you walk, which changes the way that your body responds, changes things that will be sore. Um, you know, it's, there's so much more, I guess, in summary, uh, we see this one moment in time and we think, oh, that's annoying or that's painful. But there's this bigger ripple effect that we don't necessarily, having not lived through it, uh, thought about, so to speak. Um, and I'm sure you probably, you know, like when it first happened and, yeah. and you decided to do the cart, you're like, okay, I'm just going to do this and I'm going to go. Mm -hmm. And then the realities of that sort of caught up with you as you were going. Yeah, for sure. I think the biggest un unanticipated um, reality of this was uh, that when I actually walked into a, um, Shasta, Mount Shasta, the town, people thought I was homeless. Uh, through, hike through hikers thought I was homeless. You know, I was you know, having the same car. I was, it was such a, a weird experience to be exiled from the, from the through hiking community. I had um, a couple of people Maple, for example, uh, specifically told me that uh, when we met in Oregon, she uh, we met in in Shasta and um, and in in Oregon somewhere. She was like, "Oh my God, you're not a homeless guy. You you actually are hiking the piece." I was like, "I told you," <laughs> and because you know, I walk into town, big beard, smelly hiking guy, broken arm, pulling a you know piece of trashy cart. Um, you know, many, many through hikers thought I was homeless. And even because the, the Pacific Crest bike trail crosses the PCT 27 times along the, along the way, all the way up to Canada, uh, I did cross the trail at points. And I was like, ah, I could be, I could be hiking on the trail right now. And sometimes there was, would be people, you know, walking past and I was like, Oh my God, how are you doing? But, you know, that warmth and that, that welcomeness that you get when you you're on the trail, I was completely excluded from that and be like, uh-huh so you are a pct hiker yeah right whatever yeah right yeah <laughs> you know that kind of a deal and then i've met up with um more than one of those people that i i've actually seen them um further up the trail and they're like oh my god it's you we thought you were homeless i'm like i told you i wasn't homeless <laughs> we kind of all are homeless but you know through hikers Home yeah. homelessness with intent i think is uh um Elena put it with her, mm -hmm. with her video. Yep. It's so interesting that you say that. Cause I guess I would never have, I also would never have thought of that side of it. You know, even though through hikers, particularly once they get going for a little while, look like they're homeless. Mm -hmm. There's a community of, of people around you that all look the same, but know that you are something different. Mm-hmm. And when 
they don't accept you as that, you sort of get ostracized. You sort of, you lose the community, you know? In, in a way, yeah. I mean, I've, I've met people, you know, that I've met on trail who knew me mm-hmm. and, you know, they didn't have an issue with it, but I could, even if people didn't say it out loud, you know, I could, I could feel it. I'd be like, yeah, you, do, you don't believe me, do you? <laughs> it's quite, quite strange. And, you know, there's no like hate or anything like that from, from them. It's just, it's, it's all love, but it's just, you're, you're not on trail. It's a bit strange. You know? <laughs> it's just, you could see that in their faces. And, well, and I could also imagine that I don't know if you still needed to hitchhike at all to get from certain places into certain towns or or whatever. Not? No, I didn't know. Okay. Because I could imagine that it would also be hard, likewise, to, if you had to do any hitchhiking, mm-hmm. um, because again, you don't now fit the mold of what a thru-hiker is. And they'll... Exactly. And people are giving, trail ranges or whatever, are giving a pass to a person who looks homeless, but is a through hiker yeah. as opposed to somebody who just looks homeless. Yeah. And um, I think most adventurers will comment on this as well. If you, uh, Alistair Humphrey is one of my favorites uh, as Bright wrote it in his book where most of the people in this world are very kind. 99% of the people are very, very lovely and loving and they they help they enjoy helping people and it's beautiful and um i say that because even when i wasn't on trail even when i wasn't in that bubble i still got helped tremendously i uh, got approached by dj and trudy and they let me stay in their home a beautiful home in Safik tahoe and um they they, they they were just biking around and they saw me pulling the cart and they're like what are you doing man i'm like i'm, I'm biking from mexico to canada like, no way we're trailing draws like why are you not on the pct and i'm like oh it's my shoulder um so yeah and and other cars just stopped by couple of times a day they're like hey man do you do you need anything are you okay like is everything all right um yeah thank you i'm i'm fine i could use some water but apart from that i'm all good and there were times which is my favorite um hiking on the road story is when i was in just deep in in the country of of just north cal and farms everywhere very hot um you know, it's July-ish, and uh. <laughs> yeah, and I'm walking the concrete, and it's it's so the concrete's so hot that you can't physically stand on it for more than five to ten seconds because you know you're you're just get blisters on your feet because it burns you. So I'm walking in that, and you know, with no water map, I, I don't see where rivers are. Uh, I, I see where rivers were <laughs> on the map. <laughs> And I see, I see the rivers that, you know, uh, artificial ones, little tiny creeks that, you know, farmers use to irrigate their lands, but that is full of chemicals that you do not want to drink and the filters do not filter out. It's not a chemical filter that we take on trail. So. Sorry, uh, say that one more time. I don't, I know that I heard you, but I really want to hear what you're saying here. (laughs) So the, the, the water filter, it filters out bacteria, not chemicals. So from bacteria you're fine but if if you're drinking from a stream near a field which they use chemicals to pesticides aggregate, pesticides yeah um okay 
So those will find their way. And especially yeah. they're most concentrated when they're coming out the freaking field. So when farmers, so I was like, I'm not going to drink from that. I, that looks and smells like, you know, I'm not it doesn't drink. smell like water. No. <laughs> um, so I was, I frequently ran out of water and I, I could see where the towns were and I only had to door knock a couple of times, but every time I knocked on the door, excuse me, uh, I know this is going to sound strange from a homeless looking guy, but um, I'm hiking, I'm doing this long distance hiking trail and uh, I'm hiking from Mexico to Canada. Please, will you fill up my water bottles with water? And the the few people that I had talked to, they were like, absolutely, give me your water bottles. And they just took them in, filled them right up, gave them to me. And that's that's the first part of, of my my favorite story of, of getting water. But the second favorite part is where I absolutely run out. And um, I was drinking like seven, eight liters a day because of the heat. And I was trying to walk, you know, earlier in the day, but I didn't really have many lights. So I was really afraid to, to hike. And every time I hiked at night, I have to get off the road. So it wasn't really an option to hike in the dark because it was really dangerous. So I got uh, past this town. I missed I missed the, this town where I wanted to uh, stop at and actually refuel my water and carry, you know, six, seven liters. But I missed the town. I was like five miles past it. I was looking at my map. Where is this town? It was supposed to be. So I was like, okay, I have like a couple of liters. I'm going to go camp. And the next day, I'm sure I'll find something. The trail provides. I'm sure there will be something. There wasn't. There was nothing. So I'm just hiking like maybe four, three, four, five miles after having run out of water. And I thought there is, I, I'm going to need to do something at this point because this will get serious if I don't intervene. And I have never considered stopping cars before. And I literally, the, I, I whipped out my water bottle, the empty water bottle, took the cap off. And those roads, not many people go down on. And most of the traffic is like um, lo, um, ro, uh, timber, timber routes. It's a timber route. So yeah. um, truckers stuff. Mm -hmm. I use it mostly. Not many, you know, normal people, civilians and stuff that are not working. So I take out my, my water bottle and I wave at the next car right the very next car i wave at it i look i point at the bottle and i turn it upside down and they they come to to halt you know they think about it a little bit and they come come to a halt they stop they reverse about you know a couple of hundred meters and they're like hey man are you out of water i'm like yes here is some ice <laughs> and what I'm like what what <laughs> and uh you know that that guy didn't have much it had uh, he had maybe a couple of ounces of water but i had ice which melted almost instantly mm -hmm. and so i filled up my, my bottles with with ice like stuffed it in there and got uh, cut up um he cut one of his bottles off so i could put ice in it and let it melt and then pour it in uh to my bottles and that lasted me for a couple of more miles and then when that happened i was like this works the second car i waved that stopped gave me chips gave me food gave me some <laughs> sweets gave me gave me water um the the next guy i stopped after that uh actually drove all the way he was like oh what do you need man i was like i'm, I'm just run out of water i just need to get to the next town a couple of liters if you you know anything you have will help and they were like okay no worries i don't have any with me but bear with us and they drove off they got to the next town they, they weren't you know coming back this way or anything they drove back like 20 miles and gave me, they bought me water and they brought it to me and when that happened, I was literally sobbing on the side of the road. <laughs> oh <my God>. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's 
oh, it's such a such a beautiful moment to to share that with such beautiful people. Yeah, you you helped. How do I say this? You helped people create some trail magic for you right. specifically. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Your story made me tear up. <laughs> um, yeah. It, people can can and will do amazing things. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you have to be out there to experience it. Yeah. Yeah. It was funny when you started the story, the, the picture that was running through my head was the Oliver Twist with the, the bowl of porridge. You know, please, oh, yeah. sir, I want some more. <laughs> um how did you get your trail name dignity so this is actually my trail name's no dignity no Um, oh even better it's dignity for short and stark naked gave it to me uh who got stark naked (laughs) yeah stark naked got stark naked uh and the beginning beginning of the trail at the terminus whilst Mm -hmm. surrounded by 30 people while being stark Amazing. naked. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Amazing girl, lovely gal. She, uh, we hiked together for a couple of days and I'm pretty happy to have made a friend like that. And um, yeah, one, one of these days um, we're, we're hiking together and um, we, we just kept keep talking. And um, uh, her mom actually um, is phoning ahead because she's supported by her mom uh, just have, have you talked to her side. lately or have no, you I talked to she, she has now gone to they or them for her pronouns or their pronouns oh, oh, oh so sorry about that I, I yeah no I just wanted to to clarify for you and oh, also know you. that that the trail was a very life as with everybody I think was a very life-changing uh All moment right. for for them as well yeah okay okay so um Stark Naked was supported by her um that the, their mom their mom and uh and so this is throwing me off i never used that before i know um, um and uh her mom <laughs> their mom was um uh, talking about uh, getting me some snacks and they were like what would you like and i was like can you get me some dignity because i have none of it left i've been seen pooping <laughs> a couple of miles back <laughs> And uh, I actually get spotted pooping up like six times or seven times after that. Wait, so, that's so, how... so wait a second. So, spotted pooping? Like what? Yeah, I've, been, I've been caught. I've been caught pooping. Like, <laughs> okay. Yeah, I had to go, man. I had to go. So I went, I went and I was caught pooping. So I got caught pooping and uh, yeah, they were like, hey, dig, no diggity, no dig. I was like, yeah, I respond to that. That's good. I can... <laughs> I can get behind it. That's my trail name. I accept it as my trail name. So, so officially, it's no dignity. It's no dignity, but sh- just dig for short. Dig, dig, dig works on so many levels too. Considering the the pooping story. Oh yeah, yeah, it's beautiful. It's it's a perfect fit. <laughs> and the fact that uh, they uh, extrapolated that and assumed that I'm going to get pooping. I'm going to get caught pooping again. And I did. <laughs> I've assumed that it probably happened up the trail. Yeah. Yeah. Like every, every month, uh, once, once a month. Something like that. <laughs> so it was sort of like, okay, June is done. We're, yeah, we're, June. We got caught. <laughs> yeah. We're into July now. Yeah. 
How how early into the trail was that? About mile 50. Okay, so very, very early. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very early. Yeah. I'm very fortunate to, to have that name because no one could pronounce my, my actual name. So it's it's a nice, nice, nice change. Because I'm assuming at some point you ha- you had to tell the story to your friends and your mother and your family and so forth. Um, what was their response to that? Not surprised. Did- <laughs> <at all>. <laughs> <laughs> it seems so fitting to them as well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. It's, it's beautiful that I was really one of the, one of the things I was really afraid of from like a childhood fear is getting caught pooping. And it's just so humiliating, right? Like you're, mm-hmm. you're vulnerable. You're just there doing your business. It's your private time. And the, I was really like, you know, closed in on very many things, including this on the trail and the trail just brings this out of you, this, this beautiful experience of, Hey, you've been caught pooping, but that's okay. You, yeah, that's absolutely fine. Nothing happened. We're all friends here. We all support each other. Let's move on with our lives, you know? And I'm like, yeah, this this just happened. And I'm still friends with everyone that saw me poop. So I'm I'm gonna, you know, not worry about it anymore. And it's it's so beautiful how that snowballs into something make way bigger. And you know, maybe someone that comes on trail that thinks too much about what people think of them might go through the same experience as I did and just not really care that much you know can't please everyone mm-hmm. and but most people you know will like you for who you are and that's actually very powerful and beautiful how has that translated into the rest of your life so i think a beautiful quote is the obstacle is the way and what blocked your path in the past or what is blocking your path right now um, what once actually impaled or impeded action is now the way to go. And for me, that in this particular instance was getting caught pooping. And I was, you know, I couldn't get past it. And I realized that without having to push myself through that emotional state, I wouldn't have gotten past very many other things in life um, after trail. So it's it's beautiful how, the experience of trail just transforms uh, into your life, into your work, into your personal relationships, you know, just, just realizing things, things like, Hey, I don't need things to be happy. I was happy with a backpack this big for six months. What else do I need? I don't need another guitar. I don't need another house or a better car. This is fine as it is. I, you know, it just, shines light on that aspect and it's so absolutely beautiful to to experience that did it cause you when you got back to start looking around at the stuff that you've accumulated and say you know what i really don't need that i'm okay without that yeah yeah uh it was trans life transforming so i lived in a van a year and a half before trail (laughs) and it was a it was a pretty big van it was a full transit, high top, long wheelbase. And I got back to the van after the trail. And, you know, there is limited space in a the van. There is, you, yeah. you have to be minimal already. And it's a small got, apartment. <laughs> it's a very small apartment. And I went, when I got back to the van, I took four huge bin bags of stuff that I had. 
and of clothes, of gadgets, of things that I'd never used. And I just got rid of it and donated the clothes to charity and got and bin the rest of the stuff. And I think, especially in modern society that we are in, we're constantly bombarded by stimuli that is not healthy. And many people never realize this. And it's really sad to to see and why I'm promoting the trail so hard uh, because this is one of the biggest things that I took away from it. You don't need things to be happy. You don't, social media is insinuating that you should have these things, this social status, these vacations that these other fake people are, you know, on and you you don't need things. They, they mess up your life. They, um, this, this cup, for example, if I had more than, you know, three cups, I would have to think about those three cups. I would have to go into my cupboard and clean those three. I would use those. I would give them to my friends that come over. But if I just have one cup, that's two less cups to think about. And it's it really doesn't sound like much. But if you don't have a Facebook account, you you, you uh, that's quite extreme. But I did delete my Facebook after. Um, <laughs> Isn't it a crazy world when you say, in all seriousness, not having a Facebook account is an extreme action. I know. And I know. Like, oh. <laughs> Where have we gotten to? Exactly. Exactly. And it's not just Facebook that is so distracting. It's everything else. And yeah. if, if more people realize that, I think more people will live a healthier, better life. Yeah. Being, being and appreciating you is, can be challenging. I think, but is so healthy, is so empowering, actually is probably the right word. <laughs> um, Appreciate it. In everything that you do. Yeah. Um, is there anything that we haven't talked about that we should? Um, I think I think we pretty much covered it all. I mean, I could talk to you all day, Erin, because you're so lovely to talk to. Um, but I, you know, I think we've covered a lot. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I That is always, on every one of these calls, on every one of these conversations, that is always my struggle. I was mm -hmm. like, I, because I am the somebody who, I love the minutia of it all. I love drilling down. I love hearing the stories. And it's so hard to go, okay, I've been talking to you for 90 minutes and I have to let you go on with the rest of your life because <laughs> I just... <laughs> um, Keep in touch, Erin. Keep in touch. We'll, absolutely. We'll do something together. Oh, I would love it. I would love it. Um, where can people find you uh, or where should people find you to see the videos if they want to buy some prints um, and to follow your continuing adventures? So just traildork.com. Thank you very much for asking. Um, I have 16 episodes of the, the my experience out on YouTube and I have a full feature film as well of, of 22 minute, a short film, a 22 minute film of the entire experience. And, um, you know, you can support with or without purchasing anything on traildork.com. Fantastic. And again, as we, as we noted earlier, uh, you have the affiliate, the Amazon affiliate links on your website as well. And that money also goes to help support. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Even if you don't buy the gear that is on the, the website, if even if you click through and then buy something completely unrelated, that will still help and, and go to charity. Fantastic. Um, and also, I, 
I, I was going to just leave with, with one quote by uh, Marcus Aurelius, who is one of my favorite philosophers. Um, and it's, it reads, you could leave a life right now, let that determine what you say and think. Nice. So uh, I think that's a good way to sum it all up. It seems pretty perfect. Usually I would ask what your favorite moment on trail was, but um, unless you have another one that you'd like to share, because you've, <laughs> you've mentioned a couple of them already. Okay. Okay. So my first favorite moment was uh, Deep Creek Hot Springs when it was the second time I walked 30 miles and it took me 18 hours, if I remember correctly. Oh. But I, <laughs> I walked, I'm a slow walker. I, I, I walk slowly and I, I um, uh, walked 20 miles to, to the springs. And the way it works is there is this natural hot spring and it's been cultivated in this one pool, which is hotter. And then this other uh, pool, which is a little bit less hot. And there's also this ice cold river running right <laughs> next to it. Uh, this all combined with this nudist beach uh, type feel uh, where some people, you know, just in the nude having fun. But that's not actually part of why that's my favorite day. Uh, day. Makes it more interesting for sure. Um, but I got to that place and just the combination of people I met that day and the, the realization of, of actually, oh my God, I'm going to spend the next four or five months on trail and I am, I've never been happier. And right now I'm on a slack line and this is an episode two, by the way, I'm on a slack line trying to walk across this ice cold river. I keep falling in. It's absolutely freezing. It's doing beauty for, you know, recovering the muscles. And then after that, I jump in the hot spring in the middle of the desert. What? In the middle of the desert. And uh, just, you know, have, have a beer with some people that, you know, I met there and, um, you know, granted they put on their shirts before their underwear, but it was, it was great. It was beautiful. It was, it was so nice to, to be a part of that. And then after that, I hiked into the night and I smashed my, I think it was my second 30 mile day. And just that euphoric feeling of, of being on trail and just living in the moment and, and just, just breathing was, was incredibly euphoric and just breathing was happy. I was happy to be there breathing that, that I, I will never forget that feeling. Huge, gigantic, enormous thank you to Chaba for sharing his stories from the trail and a special curated video version of this podcast, which you can find on our Hiking Through website, as well as our brand new Hiking Through channel on YouTube. And also an enormous thank you to Maya Wynn for the use of the song Try Again. On next week's episode, I have a brand new trail for you. I'm talking with Paul Burak about his book, Fighting Monks and Burning Mountains, about his pilgrimage of the Shikoku Trail in Japan. I think that you will agree with me that it just may be something you need to put on your bucket list. I hope that this conversation, these conversations, inspire you to get out there and have a few hiker trash moments of your own. I'll see you on the trail. <laughs>